0: itunes presents meet the filmmaker at the apple store good afternoon apple store soho how is everybody on this wonderful evening (laughs) nice Awesome. Well, welcome. We're smack dab in the middle of Tribeca, so there's constantly things going on here, and we're having a very exciting time. Many, many different events. We've been doing it for a while, too. Every year, Apple and IndieWire like to find ways to sort of make things even better than last year. So we're partnered up with IndieWire, which is really exciting for us. And actually, I'd like to invite one of our friends from IndieWire up to the stage. Basil, he's going to talk to you a little bit. So guys, warm welcome for Basil from IndieWire. Thanks a lot. So, uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody at Apple for working with uh, IndieWire for the last few, uh, several years to put on these uh, filmmaker talks during the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, we, we have uh, filmmakers from both the Tribeca Film Festival and other films that are just out there that will be being released and, and, and on DVD, etc. soon, so um, we're very happy to have this film with us uh, today. Um, just a quick word about, uh, and the, the talks will continue until Sunday the 2nd, so make sure to come back, check out the schedule. There's usually two or even three different panels or film talks going on the same, uh, the same day, so check them out. Um, IndieWire for those of you that don't know is a, film th- uh, is a website that is devoted to independent film um, we do film reviews we do uh, box office reports um, breaking news that kind of thing so check us out um, take a look at it uh, we update all the time um, want to now start off with the, the trailer for the film uh, for the film uh, William Kunstler Disturbing the Universe um, and then we'll get the moderator and the uh, filmmakers out here to have a brief talk so uh, enjoy the trailer
1: that's the terrible myth of organized society that everything that's done through the established system
2: is legal and that word has a powerful psychological
1: impact all i want to say is all power to the people right on do it get them all get them all. He had this man who stood for radical politics, and now he was representing people whose values were anathema to most of us.
2: If you do not decide this case on the evidence, someday, somewhere, you will wake up screaming.
3: I said, let's not do this one. It put you to a grave. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't listen to me. I was kind of wondering if ever you decided to take a case and then later, you know, did a double take and said, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't something that in my heart, I believe is right.
1: It's very, very hard to look Bill Kunstler's daughter in the eye and to say that I thought he was a hypocrite. suspect that
3: better men than the world has known, and more of them, have
2: gone to their death through a legal system than through all the illegalities in the history of man.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Emily Kunstler, Sarah Kunstler, and this evening's guest moderator, Eugene Hernandez from IndieWire.
1: Emily and Sarah, thank you for being here, and thank you to the audience for being here as well. We'll get to your questions, Um, and I have some questions as well, and if you have any questions for us, you can ask as well. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you a few questions about sort of your early early days when you were were growing up. When did you realize the extent of your father's activity, involvement with the many cases he was involved with, when did you, or, or even more, maybe as a more basic question, when did you really realize who your father was beyond just being your dad and what he meant to people outside of your family?
3: You know, I, I, you only have one childhood, so it felt very normal to us. I don't think that, that we ever thought that, that he was necessarily unusual or lived an unusual life. I would say the first time that I really realized the full extent of his of his fame and what he meant to other people um, was at his funeral, was at his memorial service.
2: We, we knew that he was famous, though. I mean, we knew, we knew that he uh, um, was a, a public person. You, you kind of see in that trailer a little bit, you know, that uh, we introduce him to our, our our audience as, you know, the William Kunstler. You know, so we definitely... Had that conception of him, um, but uh, it was you know it was still in our neighborhood. you know we walked down the street, and people knew who he wa- who knew who he was, but we didn 't really have a life beyond the ten block radius we grew up in when we were kids
1: but I mean, you probably knew that most of your friends weren 't like going on TV and being interviewed with your dad with their dads i mean that 's a little different from yeah. probably the or maybe not i don 't know what your friends were like but yeah. It, seem, it seems it would seem you know exceptional at least to yeah. Yeah. have a dad who goes on TV and has yeah. you know
3: uh, you know we definitely had a sense of what he thought of himself yeah. Yeah. from a young age uh, you know the, at the end of a day our our last activity would be to walk our dog Sam around the corner to the newsstand to pick up every local paper so he could then take them home and search for his name You know so this pre google obviously <laughs> pre Google. Um, or you know he'd he he excitedly gather us all around the kitchen television if he was going to be on a, on a local news broadcast.
2: It was S- a bad day if he didn't make it the cu- make the cut on the <laughs> evening news. I'm I'm Sarah Kunstler, by the way, and, and this is Emily. Emily. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh no, it's yeah.
1: It's just- <laughs> Do you think that? Uh, and this might be a question for your mom more than your. Da- I mean, then, then it would have been something you'd ask your dad. But was your perception that? your parents tried to foster your awareness of your father or conversely tried to manage it in any way or manage your your experience around that in any way or were you even aware of that at the time
3: um... our our mother's actually here with us today so if you want to (laughs) interrupt but i definitely feel like like our mother um, who who is also a civil rights attorney um, it was very important to her to protect us from the public eye and to, and to keep a distance and for us not to really um, get that that sense of, of fame and that appreciation for fame. Um, so our mother tried as much as she could to to make a normal life for us.
1: Can we can we ask your mom a question? Is that can I ask you a question?
2: Yes.
3: Is that all right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, was that a, was that was that a challenge for those listening on <laughs> iTunes? We'll, we're going to have another voice on the podcast, but. Why did you want to, if if you agree with Emily, I mean, was that something you thought about in terms of managing the way that they experience the fame around your family?
3: Well, I never never allowed photographs to be taken of them by the press. Uh, And that was to protect them physically, and it was also because emotionally I thought that they shouldn't be involved in fame at that age because children don't have an understanding of it. And I didn't want them to have a warped sense of values, which is a very easy thing to have uh, in that environment.
1: Thank you. Um, so t- tell, us, tell us a bit about the origins of the project. Um, we'll talk in a minute about your own backgrounds. But, but, and this maybe may will come up in your answer. But tell me about the discussion you guys had, either together involving your mom, involving your family, what sorts of discussions you had at the very early stages of the project. And then I'll ask you in a minute about, about how that might have changed as the film went along and then ultimately as it was distributed.
2: Well, we were already making films together. Um, and we'd been making films together for about six or seven years. And it, it had never occurred to us to make a film about our dad. And in retrospect, I think that that seems kind of strange because it seems like a natural choice of subject. But we... Um, you I know, should add that all of our other films were about injustice in the criminal justice system, so they were following a similar trend. But I think that w- a couple things happened. One, it was we were in this post-Katrina moment in this country where um, it's, it's like this kind of facade of... Um, that this phony facade that racism didn't exist anymore and wasn't a real live issue, and, and that there weren't wounds still in in this society, had been had been ripped apart, and um, we were struck by what we had learned from our father, which was that he was always suspicious um, when uh, moments from the civil rights movement were memorialized or 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 or, or praised as as pieces of a forgotten past because he felt every time we pat ourselves on the back for those victories we lose sight of how far we have to go as a society and a nation um, for to have true equality and uh... we wanted to make a film about we, we started there wanting to make a film about what we learned from him But i think it also was that we were both approaching thirty and. You know, when you're when you're starting your career and you're in your you know early 20s, you you want to be an individual. You're not thinking so much about your parents and what they did. You kind of want to forge your own path. And when you get to be 30, you start thinking more about legacy and what you take from your parents, what you want to pass on to your children if you have them. So it was about age too.
1: We were talking yesterday with a documentary filmmaker, and one of the things he mentioned it was Toma Balmez who. Directed this film, Babies, and he's made a number of documentaries. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about this idea that um, for a truly great documentary, you almost need to have a tension between the subject and the and the documentarian. And I wonder what you think about that as it relates to a more personal film like this, uh, where it's literally about your own about yourself as well as your father and your mom. But it's also about you. It's not just about um, your parents and your dad, but it's also about you and your own family and your, your growing up. What do you think about that need for attention or, or how you manage that tension that may come out as you're going back and reliving or re experiencing, rediscovering footage from an interview you'd kind of forgotten about?
3: I mean, there, there definitely was that tension. I, I don't know that it's, that it's entirely unique to, to our childhood. I think everybody, you know, your first real crisis of faith is the moment you realize your parent's a human being. You know, and you, and you sort of let go of these childish dreams of wanting them to be a hero or, or, or all good. Um, so this, since our father passed away when we were teenagers, our relationship with him was really suspended at that point. Um, so we still had all of these, these lingering questions that we, we brought into our adulthood. So this film was really an opportunity for us to go back to, to collect that archival footage, to, to, to you know, rewind the tapes and actually hear from his mouth um, th- those answers, or at least as close to that as we could get.
2: I think that's a, that's a, a, a really great idea. I've never thought about it that way before. and. You know, when we were making this film, it was so scary through a lot of it. You know, like, what kind of personal risk are we taking? How much are we exposing ourselves? Do we really want to put ourselves in this film? How personal do we want to make it? You know, that a lot of the time when we were making it, I would say to Emily, you know, I wish we were making a film about bears. You know, because that seemed like a really non-controversial topic that wouldn't, you know, bring up all of these emotions and feelings and fear. And I think if we had made a film about bears, there definitely wouldn't have been any tension for me. (laughs) And and I think it was the tension that I was reacting to, and I probably would have made a terrible film about bears.
1: Well, I mean, I kind of asked you this before, but maybe I'll follow up. And and I'm wondering, what kept you? You could have very easily suspended the project for a period of time indefinitely. Um, what kept you going back to this story now? I mean, why, it, you, know, you didn't have to tell your own story, but it sounded like it was the right time. What kept you going back to, to finish the story at this time?
3: We didn't want to spend more than three and a half years exploring our family life. <laughs> we really didn't. You know, we, we, we could have, we, we could have made a mini-series you know, but we really wanted to, to... We thought it was an important exercise for us. We really did, and it's something we wanted to do, but we didn't want to m- make it um, a lifetime commitment. We wanted to be able to move on and do other things.
1: So, so tell me about some of the um, specifics of constructing the film now. So tell me about some of the first steps you took, and then we'll take a look at another clip in a moment, but just tell me about some of the... When you started really actively embarking on this project, what were the very first... Steps you took. It might help inform other people who are documentary filmmakers, also.
2: Well, I, I don't know that we did it right, but the first thing we did is we went to an office supply store and we got we, <laughs> we got a lot of index cards and push pins and a, and a big board, and we mapped out the film that we were going to make. And we had we had an entire flowchart of the film. We knew it from beginning to end. And uh, uh, when we uh, looked at it later, after we had made the film, we realized it, it, it bore little resemblance to the film that we actually made, um, with the exception of, I think, the, like the first ten cards or so, which was our, our introduction, our premise. And I think that we always knew where we were starting from, we just didn't know where we would end up.
1: So you wrote a script, essentially, or an outline, and you, then you kind of threw it out. Yeah. But you needed that to get started. Yeah.
2: Well, we
3: cast a very, a very large net. We wanted to talk to everybody who would talk to us. We wanted, you know, anyone who'd ever met our father, worked with our father, um, you know, been with our father on an elevator. Um, and, uh, we, you know, you end up having to, to narrow the story down. But, we, you know, it, it was a journey of discovery. It really was. We really, we went out there. We traveled around the country. We, you know, we went to all these, you know, major archives collecting footage um, and, then, and then built the story that, that you're seeing pieces of today.
1: I'd imagine people were pretty open. I mean, this is your father and you're looking for footage of your father. I'm sure that people were pretty willing to open up their books and archives, or is that not the case?
2: Well, it 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 opened doors for us and it closed doors for us. We, um, you know, oh, when, so. we, when we started out, we we were very self-conscious about this being a film we were making about our dad. So we really wanted to be balanced. We really wanted to get both sides. We wanted to give his detractors equal time on screen. And we realized a couple things pretty quickly. One that it was really hard to get people that didn't like him to want to talk to us on camera
1: because like the Dershowitz comment. Yeah.
2: And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that was rare though I mean we we, we, were, we were surprised that we got that. He, he said a lot worse during our father's lifetime <laughs> yeah. and we we, we, con- we confronted him with some of the things he said during his lifetime, and he wasn't having it. he you know people don 't want to speak speak ill of the dead they won't, don't want to be remembered or memorialized that way and and we, we you know we accepted that after a while, but we also realized that the tension in our film wasn't other how other people felt about our dad it was how we felt about our dad mm-hmm. so we didn't ultimately need those voices to tell our story
1: did you worry at all that if you didn't include enough of them people might question the 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 validity or the the truth of the film I, I Is think that something I, you talked about yeah
3: i think on some level yes but i it, it's also a film told from a very personal perspective um, so, I, once we were willing to really um, make ourselves vulnerable in this process, it, it was less of an issue for us. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that, that really the questions that we ask about him um, and the challenges that, that come from us make it okay for everybody to have questions. It, it actually it, it invites people's doubts and curiosities um, in a way that just, you know, showing both sides of the story wouldn't have necessarily...
1: I mean, it certainly makes it easier to have a conversation about it because you've, you've, you've put out a lot of material to discuss. And you've, again, you're, you're putting yourself out there as well. Um, it's a natural question that we often get from the audience when we get to the question and answer portion, so I'll ask it now. Um, how many hours of interviews and footage did you have? What format did you shoot on? Can you tell us about some of the practical elements of, of the film and putting it together?
2: The hours the e- Emily was our editor, so she she
3: takes this one. I've blocked it out though. It's a painful <laughs> experience. We had, you know, we had. I I feel like over three hundred hours of archival footage, and and probably just under that with interviews that we shot ourselves. Um, so we had we had a ton of stuff. We shot on on DVC Pro fifty. Um, and we shot it over I guess
2: about a year and a half. We shot a lot more than we probably needed to to make this film, but making this film was this terrific excuse to get people to sit down and talk with us about our dad. So there are a lot of interviews that didn't make it into the film that were experiences that Emily and I got to have that we literally would not have not have been able to have otherwise.
1: Well, and why why were those important? I mean, it might seem obvious, but what? Tell me about how that played into the ultimate film, even if the interview didn't make it into the film, I'm sure it affected your overall impression of your your father, your family, yourselves about this project. Or maybe it didn't. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of them informed the film. I don't, I don't think it, it had to have informed the film on, on a, because it was part of what we were experiencing and part of what we were processing and going through. But I think it also... Um, you know, was something that Emily and I needed to do, even if it didn't make it into the film or inform the film directly. Because we, you know, our, our dad passed away when we were teenagers, so we didn't get to, you know, have the reckoning that you get to have with a parent, where you know you sit down and you're both adults and you you look at your you look at your dad from across the Gulf of understanding that you realize will always be there, <laughs> and you say, "I'm okay with you." And uh, you know you're okay with me, and, and we'll leave it at that. So we you know we never got to that with him, and I think you know making the film was was a way of peering over that gulf anyway, and of and of uh, you know assessing the man and the father and and seeing him, um, seeing him as an adult. And it, it, it brought him back to life in a lot of ways, you know,
3: hearing, hearing him described, you know, through the voices of others, remembering his sense of humor, you know, the way he carried himself, the way he, you know, the way he dressed, just hearing these, these, these descriptive details from people who, who knew him well, um, really made
2: him real we were, as most teenagers are, terrifically self-absorbed in our late teens and and didn't, you know, we were not at all interested in in him or our mother and, you know, wanted nothing to do with them whatsoever. So I think that, uh, you know, that we, a a lot of, you know, who they were as people, their personalities, little idiosyncrasies, things about them and how they moved through the world didn't sink in for us.
1: Let me switch gears a little bit. Tell me about your process working together. Um, how did you navigate that as a filmmaking team? Were there natural areas that you each gravitated towards? Or did you really have a, you know, a number of discussions over time about sort of who would do what? Or how did you break that up?
3: Well, we've, we've been working together you know, since my birth. Um, so the process is really organic. I don't think we ever had a conversation where we assigned roles. Um, we, just, we just got going. Um, and, you know, I, I went to film school, um, so I, you know, I handled more of the technical end. Um, Sarah handles more of the writing end. Um, but it's, the whole documentary, you know, uh, editing a documentary, writing for a documentary, it's, it's all a very, you know, involved process. There isn't something that's really done separately and, you know, and alone in a dark corner. So we were just sitting there together every day, um, you know, just, just hashing this out.
2: And, uh, Emily is the narrator of the film, so I I had to write for her voice. And I think that, you know, in, in the beginning of making this film, we didn't technically understand how we were going to make a film that was by two people and what that narrative voice was going to look like and whether it was going to be we were each going to narrate part of it or whether it was going to be, you know, a, a kind of collective we. And in the end, it ended up being Emily in... Uh, but but I, I wrote what she said, and that was a real headache because I would write things, and she would say, "There's no way I'm going to say that." And I we would we would have arguments about you know about you know what Emily should be saying in the film, and uh, I mean you know and she same time she would edit things, and I would say, "That's you know that can't, that's not going into my movie," and uh, <laughs> and and we would have to work it out together.
1: So how did you make those? How did you make? first the narration decision, how did you ultimately make, how or why did you make the decision to structure it the way you did? You could have each been speaking, you could, I mean, what was the the artistic or aesthetic reason for that?
3: I think that if if one of us, you know, was a boy, it would be a lot easier to make the distinction between our voices. We have a, a very similar speaking voice, and to have to constantly be introducing yourselves, hi, this is Emily again. And then it just seemed like it would be a complete distraction. So, uh, you know, we we realized pretty early on that it had to be one of us. And then we didn't want to narrate it, you know, as a we, because we thought that that seemed less... Creepy. Creepy. Yeah. It's creepy. It's, it's creepy.
1: <laughs> Folks listening on yeah. iTunes right now are, are <laughs> really grappling with the same issues, I think.
3: Um, and and why, why it ended up being me, you know... I don't really remember. I mean, I think I, 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 I did the scratch track for the for the trailer because I was the editor, so I was sitting in front of the computer. I have a slightly younger-sounding voice, so I think because it's from a, a child's perspective, we thought that that worked better, too. And then because Sarah was writing it, we thought it was a way for us to, to have that kind of you know relationship together, her writing through my voice.
1: Did you ever think about having it written, having written for and voiced by a third party, a third person, as sort of a different... Perspective or was that never even did you never even entertain that
2: no well, I mean early
3: on we weren't even we didn 't even know we were going to be in the film, right. so at that point, uh-huh. but we never really got far
2: enough to think about what what that would sound like and, and who that would who that would be I, I certainly wouldn 't have been comfortable writing it as myself. I think that that we actually i, I don 't think we can talk about this process without talking about all the help we had yep. either because uh, you know we we had producers who sat with us in the editing room and helped us you know come out of ourselves who helped us look at the film you know uh, from the outside look at our lives from the outside who drew us you know out, out of our solipsism in, into 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 making a, a a movie and and you know we um we would never have been able to do that just t- we would still be in there, arguing in the editing room. If 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 it, if it it wasn't for the help we got making this film, I don't know if any of them are here. We, Jesse Moss, Susie Corda, Vanessa Hope, uh, Tracy Bunting. <laughs> if any of you are out there, thank you, um, or in iTunes land.
1: <laughs> we look off in the distance when we say <laughs> iTunes. Um, tell me, okay, so from a filmmaker's perspective now, and for those other filmmakers who might be here or listening, tell me about how important that perspective is. Re- elaborate on what you were just talking about, because I think that it is very easy to, you know, become so engrossed in what you're doing, and, and that may work as a process for certain filmmakers. Um, in this case, you felt like it was quite valuable. Um, tell me about how that that outside input can be useful and helpful. Tell me about how you overcome it when it can be challenging to you, and you may be resistant to it.
3: I think it's particularly helpful when you're when you're making a personal film. I mean, we were just, you know, so close to the topic; it would have been impossible for us to have to have that kind of perspective on our own. Um, you know, I think that when, when people first heard that that we were going to edit it ourselves, they thought that that was a disaster. <laughs> that was the worst idea possible. How can you edit this yourself? You're never going to be able to make those hard choices. You're, you know, you're going to be too tied to the footage. You're not going to be able to take personal risk. Um, and I think that that would have been the case had we not had, we not had, had outside help. People, you know, pushing us um, to to make those choices.
1: Similarly, what role did your did your family or any members of your family play in giving you feedback either at a pre rough cut, rough cut, or you know, pre-final cut stage before you were able to show it before you decided to show it publicly, what kind of feedback did you get and how was it helpful or how was it not?
2: Well, I think well, I think with both family and with people who worked on the film, it was the process was an education in both learning when to listen and learning when to stand up and say, no, you know, we're, we're going this way, you know, because you can't, you can't let the, the chorus of voices dictate your film. If you do, you end up with something that makes no sense to you, makes no sense to an audience and isn't something you believe in. So you have to, you know, you have to believe in it. Um, and when we started out, to, when we decided to make this film, we were really scared of telling our family, our mother and, and other members of our family, you know, first because we thought our mother would hate the idea, and but with the rest of our family, it was also, we felt like these are people who had such a tremendous stake in this story. And we didn't think that we could bear that mantle. We didn't think that we were going to be successful in telling everyone's story. We couldn't make a film about everybody's William Kunstler. We could only make one about ours. So, you know, and that was was frightening. But, you know, we, we did share the film. At every stage, we shared the film. Um... Susie Corda made us uh, have workshop screenings. It, it felt like you know, on on a painfully regular basis, where uh, we would bring roomfuls of people together at, at my mom's house. You know, and there would be different people every time, and it would be this, you know, this real beating where we'd sit there and we'd show it and we'd hear what everybody had to say, um, and then spend two days recovering. <laughs> but it was, you know, I think it. it it, it was helpful because when we, you know, in some places it helped us find a thread that we didn't know we had dropped or a new thread we didn't know we needed. And at other times, it turned us into fighters, you know. We, we, it allowed us to fight for the story we wanted to tell even, you know, in the face of people who might not, be, who didn't at times believe in it.
1: Right, let's take some questions from the audience. If you have a question, raise your hand. And there's a microphone that Matt will bring to you. There we go.
0: all the way over here yep. to your right.:
1: Hi. Um, two questions, three small
0: parts. Um, I know you guys were teenagers when you followed the past, but did you find it easier to do to do this because you, you fall that past? And if so, um, were there any, any shots you thought? you you could have gotten when he was alive, anything you you regretted that you would have wanted to get? And were there times where you kind of lost him as a father and saw him as a subject in your film, and vice versa? Was that line kind of blurred?
2: Which part do you want to take?
3: I definitely don't think we could have made this film if he was still alive. I mean, I think we could have made a film, but it would have been hard to, to... to keep his hands out of the mix, you know, I think he would have been <laughs> trying to get in the editing room every day, trying to trying to tell the story that he wanted to tell. Um, so, so no, and I also don't think it would have been as interesting to us if if there wasn't that degree of distance, um, if he hadn't passed away when we were so young. Um, and then there
2: was something.
3: Was there something that you wanted to ask him? Oh, on camera, f- millions of things I would have wanted to ask him. I think that that's an experience we all have when we've lost a loved one. I mean, I still think of things every day. I read the, you know, read the newspaper in the morning and say, I wonder what my father would have to say about that. I wish I'd filmed more of him towards the end of his life. Um, I wish that, that, that you know, I'd picked up a camera when he started getting sick um, and, and you know, gotten his wisdom on, on a lot of issues. Um, but it wasn't something that, that occurred to us at the time
2: since we were so young.
3: Um, and the last part, do you want
2: to- the, third, you know, the third piece is: what, uh, did he ever, Were there points where he stopped being a dad and, and started being a subject? That's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked us that question. I think that in life, sometimes he stopped being a dad and started being a subject. So, you know, we had that, it was an experience, an experience that began making this, this film. Through our entire lives, he, ha- he was both person and persona. And and you know we we called him Bill. We didn't call him Dad. Um, you know I don't. When when we speak about the film, Emily calls him Bill all the time, and I'm like, you have to say Dad. Say Dad. But but, but we actually we actually called him Bill. And you know so yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean what you, we've never answered that before. So Emily, do you, I, you have know, I don't I don't think so. I think he became more my father. I really do.
3: You know. Um, when when he passed away, it's something that that we didn't really process. He was such a big person, he had such a huge role in our lives that it was something that we couldn't really deal with head on, or else I think it would have swallowed us. Um, so we were really starved of him for 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 ten years until we went back and decided to make this film. So it was you know it it brought him back as as our father. I think weirder than that though was. Was losing ourselves as I mean, ourselves becoming characters and not people. That was a very weird, you know, um, experience to have, to have. I, it was it was actually Susie, our our um, one of our producers' encouragement. She said that we should maybe call ourselves different names, the characters in the film, <laughs> so we would stop identifying with them. But then once we did, you know, it sort of puts you in this weird psychological crisis when you're <laughs> editing this
2: film about yourself. That's not really you. <laughs> But, you know, writing for Emily helped with that, too, because I didn't, you know, that definitely gave, made her into a character for me.
1: Were there, were there other films, other films about families, other films made by the children of noted individuals that you watched? Or, or were there, what kind of research did you do um, in related, to, uh, related to that, if at all?
3: we watched every every film that we could that was made by a child or a family member or a grandchild um, I, I our film was felt somehow different than a lot of the other ones uh because it wasn't like a a a film that was you know of a of a neglectful father going after someone who wasn't there or it wasn't i mean there there seemed to be two types One was the other one there was like a emily um, calls those why daddy why movies you know <laughs> It wasn't the psychological profile, you know. We really wanted to make a film that was that was political. We wanted to make a film that, that shared our worldview. We wanted to make a film that was that was critical of him, but 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 more than that was about um, was about being a person of courage and about you know taking a stand in your own
2: life and, and making the choices that that are available to all of us to make, but that only some do. Yeah. It, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a melodrama. For us, the, the, where we didn't want to make a melodrama of a film, um, you know, I, I, other films that inspire us are are films. We looked at a lot of um, documentaries that use archival footage in a way that they they kind of make it come to life. You know, where, when when the archival um, becomes cinematic and it and it comes alive and vivid in a very present way. Um, you know, I, I guess some of the films I think about when I think about that are um, like guerrilla, the taking of Patty Hearst when you, in those kind of news moments, you know, as that's happening, the blow-by-blow, you really feel like you're there, or you know, uh, moments in in Brett Morgan's film, Chicago 10 where, you know, he has all these different camera angles, uh, you know from 40 years ago, and it's incredible he's putting them together to put you in Chicago at the, you know, at the protests outside the
1: convention These are good examples Um, okay Uh, more questions from the audience yes I mean you sort of I haven't seen the film but you sort of touched on the question that I was going to have just now is was there um, some unresolved conflict or issue that you in doing this film that you needed to address or that you wanted to address or that even came up maybe that you didn't put in the film
3: I think there's still unresolved conflict. You know, I just think we've got we've made peace with that. Um, you know, we're never gonna agree with every choice that our father made and we've gotten to a point where where that's that's okay. I think that, that our main conflict was trying to reconcile the person that we knew during our lifetime with the you know, the myth and the hero stories we heard about his past um, and the choices he made that, that that made us uncomfortable or put our family at risk. And I, th- I think I think we definitely have a much more nuanced view of the choices he made now that we're adults. Um, but there still are things that 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 he did that we that we're that we'll never fully understand.
2: We started out wanting to we wanted him to be right all of the time. We wanted to agree with him all of the time. We wanted him the choices he made to mean something to us. We wanted it all to be important and great and terrific. And it wasn't all important and great and terrific and it wasn't all right. But I think that that, uh, that making this film has been part of a process for us and where we come out on the other side realizing that everything that he did, every choice he made, you know, he made with courage and he made with the courage to stand up and make that choice when nobody agreed with him, not even his own family. And, you know, we come out of it respecting that courage, respecting, you know, that that he could have that conviction and and stand up and make those choices.
1: Uh, There's a question up here. Uh, I, I enjoyed the film very much. Uh, do you ever, did you, or do you wonder what your father might think had he had yeah, the opportunity to watch the documentary?
3: Well, you know, he was his own favorite subject. So I think he would, in that respect, he would love it. And I think he would love that, that, that Sarah and I made a choice to commit four years of our lives to, to getting to know him better. Um, so I, I think that, that, that he would be thrilled.
2: He loved all press, good press, bad press, and ambivalent press. So, you know, (laughs) he, and and any mention of his name. So I think he would have loved the film, every minute of it.
1: We have a little more time. Any other questions? Do one here, Basil.
0: I'll do one. Um, it's related to, to the last question, actually. Um, family members. Obviously, it's a very personal film for you. It obviously was a personal film for relatives. Um, what did they think of the film? What did they think about their version of, of your dad that they knew versus the version that you knew versus what was on screen?
3: I mean, we were lucky that we could come to you know, agreement on, on the father we knew. So there was definitely, you know, it's not everybody's film. Every, you know, our, our older sisters, Karen and Jane, um, from our father's first marriage, um, appreciate the film, but definitely remember a different father. They had a different father. Um, you know, he was their father f- 30 years earlier than he was our father. Um, so their experience was completely different. But I think that, um, and our sister Karen has told this to us after seeing the film, that, you know, he was around for her... Graduation from college, he got to give her away at her at, at her wedding. He got to meet his grandchildren, um, and that she really feels like this film was it was in a way the closest that we'd ever come to that to building that kind of relationship that she knew knew and cherished with him. So I think it's you know, um, I think everybody. A, a, Appreciates, or at least from what they've said to us, the, the exploration that we were on, and, and and what we came to through that, and understand that it's a personal story from from our perspective.
1: The uh, obviously the there's a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, one of the challenges of making a documentary, and certainly a personal independent documentary, can be distribution. What has your experience been like? What kind of advice, guidance, lessons can you offer to folks who either listening or it might be in the audience who are who are taking their own films out um, and trying to get them out um, and distributed. What have you? What has your experience been?
2: You know, I think this is a confusing time for, for film distribution. I, you know, I, I feel like I've had, you know, we've had you know, lots of different advice, and 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 there's there's no clear path of 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 where to go. Self distribute, you know, digitally distribute only, um, you know, old forms versus new forms. So I don't I don't really know how it's all gonna shake out, and and I guess time will tell if we made the right choices for our film. I mean, we were were really lucky that you know we had um, you know that our film was theatrical theatrically released through arthouse films um, it is you know it was funded through ITVS it's going to be on POV um, it's available for download on iTunes <laughs> you know it's 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 out on DVD now with with new video so you know our our film is is out there saturating the world and and hopefully um, among the uh, many other choices people can make and what to watch and listen to and and, and, and they 'll choose our film
1: uh, What are each of you up to now? Are you working on anything together? Are you working on things separately you 're a lawyer what, what are you all what are you up to?
2: Uh, we are still working together. Which is, uh, you know, I, I, I there were times when I didn't know whether that. I was trying was to interpret gonna... those
1: looks back and forth there, <laughs> which won't translate over iTunes, yeah. but you were sort of trying to figure out what to say.
3: <laughs> we have to, we have two films that we're currently in the, in the early phases of producing, and we're also coordinating the um, the uh, the rec- the recording and the archiving of the the Kent State Truth Tribunal. This year is the 40th anniversary of the. Um, murder of four students and the wounding of nine others by National Guard. Um, so their they're, um, family members are orchestrating this this truth tribunal to try to finally get the answers after forty years of. Uh,
2: yeah, and uh, I'm a, I'm a criminal defense lawyer practicing in primarily in federal court in New York. Also, oh. so
1: what's that? Um, what's it like being a lawyer with the counselor name? How do people treat you? Do they, do they, does it come up a lot? Does it, is it something you have to address at all?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it would be a lot harder if I was a man. I think if I was, you know, I think this is one of those instances where sexism works in my favor. Because if I was my father's son, people, there would be a lot more comparisons, you know. Is he a lawyer like his dad? Does he, you know, have the same rhetorical skill or does he orate in the same way? You know, like I'm being a young lawyer in New York, you walk into a young a young woman lawyer, you walk into a courtroom and half the time people think you're the stenographer, you know, so... Um, (laughs) so it doesn't really happen to me that way. I mean, it is, you know, people do, there is name recognition, you know, judges will say, oh, I I, I knew your father or or people will say that to me. Um, but you know, I I mean, Emily and I have really gotten to a point where, um, you know, our feeling about that really is bring it on, you know, and I think this film really helped us get there. You know, before we made the film, when people would ask us, you know, is, are you related to William Kunstler? We would both say no. And, uh, mainly we said no i mean one we didn't know if it was going to be a good thing or a bad thing but you know we also didn't want to be william kunzler's daughters all the time we wanted to be our own people and i think that that making this film has taken t- taken us to a place where we can be both of those things our own people and william kunzler's daughters and you know and balance it and be proud of it
1: um. Thank you very much for being here, Emily and Sarah. You can catch the film on iTunes. You can catch it on various platforms, DVD and others. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for the, to the audience for being here as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah and Emily Kunzler.